Does tradition have any value in the church? Does tradition have any value in the church? Rome and the Orthodox, the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox believe tradition has authority that's either, either equal to or superior to Scripture. Rome and the Orthodox believe that tradition has an authority equal to or superior to Scripture. Many Protestants have overreacted against this and repudiated tradition. But where do we stand on tradition? Is there any value for tradition in the Reformed Church? How do the Reformed take or leave tradition? And I want to answer that question this morning in 2 Kings, with 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. Does tradition have any value in the church? We read in 2 Kings 18, verse 1, In the third year of Hosea, son of Eli, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. So we are in Jerusalem. We're back in Judah. He had a long reign, 25 years old, when he began to reign, and he, regained, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. We're back in Judah. If you recall, chapter 17 was, was uh, Israel's doom. Chapter 17 was Israel's doom. It was a reverse conquest. As God drove out the nations before his people, now the nations drove out the people and they retook the land. It was a reverse exodus. The Lord their God brought them to the land of Assyria and back to the house of bondage. Because of their idolatry, Yahweh was Israel's doom. In Judah, if you recall, in chapter 17, was just as bad. 2 Kings 17, 19 says, I quote, Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. They walked after Israel's ways. They were actually worse than Israel, if you recall. Judah began to sacrifice their own children, burning them alive in fire, by fire, to the false god Moloch. They went beyond. They were beyond evil. So we expect, as we turn to chapter 18, we expect Assyria to exile Judah. We expect Assyria to exile Judah too. We expect it. We expect it because it's Torah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Torah. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Deuteronomy 12, beginning verse 28. Deuteronomy 12, 28. Moses writes, the Lord writes... Be careful to obey all these words that I command you, God's word, his law, that it may go well with you and the, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever. When you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go to dispossess, that was the conquest, right? And you dispose them and dwell in their lands, take care that you are not ensnared to following them. Do not follow them. 
after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, how did the nations serve their gods, that I also may do the same. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in fire to their gods. Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. You should highlight that last verse. Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Israel's doom was because they failed this command. They failed the word of God. They didn't live by every word of the Lord. They even burned their children. Interestingly enough, when Israel burns their children alive, probably the most evil thing you could ever think of, and God charges them and condemns them, he doesn't say what you expect. You expect Yahweh to say, how could you kill the most innocent neighbor amongst you? How could you take the life of a child by burning it alive? That's what you expect, right? But what you actually hear God say is, you didn't do what I commanded you to do. After they burn their children alive, Yahweh says, I did not command that and that's their condemnation I did not command that you see Yahweh is jealous for his word and that jealousy we call sola scriptura Bible alone Christian lose sola scriptura you will lose proper worship you will lose the gospel. You will lose proper religion. You will lose God. And the devil knows it. The devil knows it. He's been asking since first of creation. He's been asking since the garden. Has God said? Has God spoke? Is that the word? And there are many forms to that question today. Many forms to that question. The atheist asked that question by denying God's existence altogether. Broad evangelicals deny it by, or ask it by denying tradition altogether. With their witty little slogans like, no creed but the Bible, or the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible. But the Bible gives us an, an ecclesiastical authority that must be obeyed. The Bible gives us more than the Bible. The Bible gives us a church, and, and Paul established a continuing ministry of the word and the sacraments by which we must submit and obey. You see, the body as a whole with gifted leaders, guides the church and interprets scripture jointly as the body of Christ. The Jerusalem church is a great example. It set up a council to find the underlying, underlying cause of a problem within its ranks. And then the Jerusalem council ruled on the matter and then related the conclusion to the church for the church is all to obey. They said, here's the declaration of the church. Now every church obey our rule. Every church now obey this new tradition. 
This tradition that we receive from God's word, the church commands the Christian to obey. You see, the Bible proves that men come together and interpret scripture in community. We don't read the Bible individually. It takes the church, past, present, and future to read God's word. That's the doctrine of sola scriptura. And the doctrine of sola scriptura doesn't mean me alone, me all by myself reading the Bible for as if it was the first time anyone's ever read it and coming up with conclusions that the church has never come up with. There is a tradition. Tradition is valuable. But not like Rome and the Orthodox take it. You see, they believe that Scripture is incomplete. Scripture is incomplete and needs the augmentation of tradition. You see, the Scripture is incomplete. It needs the magisterium to come along and fulfill it and and continue to write and, and continue to augment Scripture, But the doctrine of Sola Scriptura gives us a very important doctrine I all want you to recognize, and that is the doctrine of sufficiency. Sola Scriptura teaches us that the Bible is sufficient. The Bible is all that you need as Christian to be Christian. The Bible is all that you need for your faith, for your salvation particularly. It affirms tradition. Tradition has a role. The Reformation was not a revolt from tradition, but a reform of tradition. The Reformers were not starting over. That's how Rome pictures like the history of the Reformation. We'll just start over. No, that's not true. The Reformation was not starting over with the Bible. The Reformation was going back to the fathers, reading the fathers, reading God's word, and recognizing and seeing the truth. You see, the Reformers stood on the shoulders of giants, The fathers in the faith to see a clear view and that clear view of scripture led us to the truth. The truth of a reformation and that truth is sola scriptura, Bible alone. You see the divine tradition. The divine tradition is sola scriptura. Scripture is the sole authority. But there are subordinate subordinate authorities Subordinate authorities for the church, the church, elders, ministers, deacons, confessions, creeds. But scripture is the only inspired, infallible norm, making it the final authority. And tradition arises from the Bible as a subordinate authority. A subordinate authority that measures always against the standard, the Bible. You see, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the interpreter, the teacher, and the proclaimer of God's word. And the word she uses is the supreme authority. And apart from the word, the church is mute. Apart from the word of God, the church should be silent. Scripture does not reject all traditions. It repudiates the tradition of men. But affirms another tradition, the divine tradition. And the apostolic church father, Irenaeus, said it best. Listen to this very early, ancient apostolic father. This is one of the guys right after the apostles. This is the guy who was discipled by the guy who was discipled by John, Irenaeus. This is as far back as you can go, Christian. Listen to it. This isn't the Reformation. You're going to think 
I'm quoting from the Reformation, but I'm not. I'm quoting from an ancient father, Irenaeus. Take refuge in the church, be raised in its bosom, and be nourished with the scripture of the Lord. For the church is planted as paradise in this world. You will therefore eat from every tree of paradise, says the Spirit of God. That is, you will eat from every scripture of the Lord. See how Irenaeus connects scripture to the church and the value of the, both for the, for the Christian, but then you also hear the supremacy of scripture in that church. Sola Scriptura. The ancients were reformed according to the word of God. Take it to the bank. <laughs> I could quote father after father, but that wouldn't be a good sermon. Or maybe it would. I could take a break. I could take a week off and just quote the fathers. Torah prophesied Israel's destruction. Israel was the first fruits of this destruction. Now we expect Judah's time to end. That's what you expect when you come to 18. Judah's over. But then something unexpected happens. Verse 3. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Well, this isn't expected. It's been chapter after chapter of did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And now we get a did right in the eyes of the Lord. And we have never seen a did right in the eyes of the Lord like this did right in the eyes of the Lord. He did according to all David his father had done. You see, all the other good kings, every time all the other good kings are introduced, it says, and they were like David. Or perhaps they were like their fathers. But we've never seen a he did exactly like David before. This is the first time in Kings, all of Kings, first and second Kings, first time that we've ever seen someone do exactly like David. This is a big deal. And what is an exactly like David, David follower? What is he like? Glad you asked. Because the narrator tells us what it is to be like David. Dare to be like David. Verse 4. He removed the high places. He broke the pillars. He cut down Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called the Nehoshatan. He trusted the Lord. Followed God's word. Obeyed his commandments it says. Dare to be like David. First of all, in this text, we see dare to be like David is iconoclasm. <laughs> he broke, removed, cut down, broken pieces. Iconoclasm. Iconoclasm is the destruction of religious symbols as heresy. Or as we call it, reformed piety. <laughs> Iconoclasm. Iconoclasm is the fruit of the divine tradition. And, and so if you turn back in all of the kings, every time there's a king who does right in the eyes of the Lord, what does he do next? He destroys something. <laughs> but not the high places, right? They always kept the high places. This guy destroys everything. 
He is the iconoclast of iconoclasts. He removed, broke, cut down, and broke in pieces all the icons in Israel. And he did so because the Lord, it says in the text, did not command them. But then you could respond, well, he doesn't say we can't do them. That is a hermeneutical rule that a lot of Christians follow. We can do anything in the Bible that God doesn't forbid. And before you know it, you're kissing the rings of mortal men or you're watching others zip line into the pulpit in church. Right? The Reformed are iconoclast. Why? Tradition. We don't want a zip line. The first four centuries were iconoclastic with fathers, and you go read them all Tertullian, Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Lactanius, Justin Martyr, Eusebius, and Iphanatius. Hippolytus, the bishop of Rome in 326, said that it is the heretics who make images. 326, the bishop of Rome. The heretics make images. Lactantius, the theologian to the emperor, whom instructed the emperor circa 250 AD, said that where there are images, there is no religion. I'm talking about religion, images of God. Where there are images of God, there is no religion. Epiphanius, Epiphanius of Salamis, Bishop of Salamis, circa 400, said, it's the Gnostics, not Christians, who made images of Christ. The Gnostics were the ones making the images of Christ, not the Christian. The Byzantine emperor, Leo III, launched the first great command against icons, the first iconoclast tradition in history, 726 A.D. With his decree prohibiting representations of religious figures. And his supporters tore down all the existing ones. Bishop of Masala, at the end of the 6th century, ordered that all icons be removed from the churches and destroyed. Pope Gregory I, the great, wrote to him, praising him for his zeal and advocating, and no, advocating that nothing created by human hands should be the object of, ordin, of adoration. But then this same Gregory does something that we first see in the first, first in Christian history in the 7th century. He says, you know what, there's actually two kinds of worship. And he invents this new tradition, the tradition of man that Rome still adheres to today, that there are actually two types of worship. The first type is the worship of images. And the Christian may worship images, and so you can worship Mary, and you can worship the saints. And then there's a second type of worship where you worship God alone. There's two kinds of worship. You see, Gregory said, has God said? Has God said that there aren't actually two kinds of worship? I don't see in the Bible where it doesn't say that. So we can do it. There are actually two kinds of worships, church. You can worship images. You can worship God. And if you ever go into a, a Roman Catholic chapel or cathedral, you wonder who gets worshipped more. Look at the images and count them. Who's worshipped more? Mary or Jesus? Get rid of Sola Scriptura before you know it. 
You're worshiping dead man's bones. But the Bible says it is written. There's just one kind of worship. Worship God kind alone. That's the divine tradition. One kind, God alone kind. Destroy all other kinds. They're traditions of men. Before you know it, if you don't take Sola Scripture, you'll be praying to men. You'll end up praying to men, even though the Bible says there's one mediator, mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Before you know it, you'll be calling some dude father as he re-sacrifices Christ in the mass, even though the divine tradition says that Christ was sacrificed once and for all. Tradition of men, God's word, the divine tradition. The divine tradition gives us one king, one mediator, one high priest, one vicar. We call it the Holy Spirit, or call him the Holy Spirit. We only have one father in heaven. So far in Israel's history, not even the most righteous king removed the high places, and that's been a recurrent complaint in 2 Kings. Hezekiah's answered the call and beyond. He destroyed all aspects of the cult introduced by the fathers. The fathers introduced these traditions of men. He destroyed them. He even destroyed the oldest man-made tradition. And that tradition was the tradition of Moses. You see, Moses made that, that, that serpent, that bronze serpent, right, to save his people. Well, at some point, that, became, that bronze serpent was put in the church. And over time, through the tradition of men, the church started worshiping the serpent, the bronze serpent. And he destroyed it. He destroyed an artifact of Moses. Because there's one God and one king. He destroyed the oldest man-made traditions. Because the church had twisted God's word into an illegitimate cult. Hezekiah followed the right tradition. He was like David. He was an iconoclast. He was a sola scriptura man. Verse 5 says, He trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. He kept the commandments of the Lord. He held fast to God's word. And the text says he prospered because of it. He prospered. That prosperity was not the tradition of man, health and wealth that we get in America, an evil tradition of man. No, it's a better tradition. It's spiritual prosperity. And you see that prosperity in verse 7. And the Lord was with him. Because he held fat, underline that, highlight, the Lord was with him. He held fast to the word of God, so the Lord was with him. That's the text. He held fast to God's word, therefore the Lord was with him. Do you want the Lord with you? Bible alone. Bible only. The Lord was with him through the word. And so he did like David. Verse 7. He prospered. He rebelled against Assyria. In verse 8, here's where you really see he's like David. What did he do? He struck down the Philistines. There's David. We haven't even heard about the Philistines forever. But here he is, like David, destroyers of the Philistines. 
the narrator compares Hezekiah's solo scriptura now with the way of the world. So now in verses 9 through 12, you get the tradition of man. So he's just shown us in verses 1 through 8, if you follow God, if you follow God's word, God is with you, you prosper. Now in verse 9, he reminds us of something he's already told us. The narrator's already told us this. But he brings it back up to contrast it with what you get when you follow God's word. When you follow God's word, prosperity. When you follow the tradition of men, verse 9, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Eli, king of Israel, Assyria came against Samaria, besieged it, took it, carried all the Israelites away, verse 11 says, destroyed Assyria, exiled them, verse 12, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. But they transgressed his covenant. Even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened nor obeyed. They did traditions of men. They said, has God said? Aren't there two kinds of worship? There's worship, because that's what they're doing. Remember, they're worship, they were worshiping God. They were worshiping Yahweh, two kinds of worship. They were worshiping Yahweh and Asherah and Moloch. They had two kinds of worship. And it led to their destruction. Has God said always leads to destruction. So Jesus responded, it is written. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 4, 4, talking to the devil, right? Being tried by the devil in the wilderness. And Jesus answered the devil saying, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is the Christian's authority. And Jesus' authority was the word of God. Jesus is the divine tradition, Christian. And his tradition was, it is written. It is written. We are people of the book. We are creatures of the word, made by the word of God. Christ is the word incarnate, and by him we live by scripture, scripture which is God's very breath. Paul calls scripture God's very breath, breathed by the Father, that Christ the Son might fill our dead bones, that he might fill our dead lives, fill our lungs with his life-giving spirit, and we become new creatures, creatures made by the word, creatures kept by the word, people of the book. Christ did everything the Father commanded. He did not add to it or take from it, and so he is our righteousness, so he is our mediator, so he is our salvation. So the incarnation was iconoclastic. God broke into this world and assumed human flesh to remove false worship from his people. So Christ condemned the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they held to the tradition of men. He cast the money changers out of the church. He broke into darkness and gave light to the eyes of the blind. He destroyed demons as they oppressed his people. And he's destroyed the curse that laid upon us. 
He's removed the condemnation, and you are now the righteousness of God as if you've never sinned or been a sinner. So death has no power over you. Christ destroyed it. He's removed it from you. Death has no power over you. He's removed it. He's taken it away. Hell has no place for you. Christ has destroyed. He is iconoclastic. He is the ultimate iconoclast. He has destroyed sin, death, and the devil to give you life from above. You've been redeemed. By faith in Christ, you are free. You are free from the tradition of man, and you are free to follow the divine tradition. So you are free to live by every word of the Lord. And take from that tree, take from the church, and receive her word, the scripture alone. Amen. Let us pray. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.